This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to Lavender U, a community for LGBTQ plus women and femmes, where we talk about all things queer media and representation. I'm Jamie Margolin. Today on the pod, I'm so excited to have two incredible gay icons. I've had their music stuck in my head all week, and I am so excited to talk to them today. I'm, of course, talking about the wonderful Tegan and Sarah. Tegan and Sarah are a contemporary slash pop music duo of two sisters, both openly gay. Their music and activism has done so much for the LGBTQ community, and now they're here, and it's pretty surreal. Um, Tegan and Sarah, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having us. It's lovely. Thank you. So for our listeners who don't know who you are, shame on them, uh, tell them a little bit about yourselves and your music. Um, So this is Tegan speaking. Um, Sarah and I, we started playing music when we were in our teens. We were in high school, and we... um, started to write songs and it was sort of the late late 90s so grunge music was super popular and it felt like a lot of people we knew were in bands but it was kind of all guys and um, we'd already already kind of been invested in making music we played piano and we uh, loved music and listened to a lot of music and so I think it was very natural for us to just start a band and start playing music I don't think either one of us thought we would be doing it 20 years later or that we'd get a record deal or any of that stuff we never talked about it in those terms but I just think right away we we really resonated with music we loved storytelling we loved entertaining we loved getting up in front of our friends and making people laugh and playing songs and um i think we didn't really know what course our life would take and we weren't sure what to take in school and so we decided to take a year off and focus on music and the rest is history it was just that year ended up affording us the opportunity to make a record and travel around and we ended up signing a record deal and and we have never looked back and i think um there was never a point in our career where we weren't out. I don't think we felt we ever could hide it. We looked really gay at that age. We had really, really short, spiky <laughs> hair. And we were, I wouldn't say that we were super confident about being gay, but I don't know that we ever felt like we couldn't, or I don't know that we felt we had another path. Um, and uh, I think that's really probably had a, a huge influence on our career and the choices we've made. And, and certainly in the last five years, we don't just focus on music these days. We focus on our work with the Tegan and Sarah Foundation, which raises money for women and girls in the LGBTQ community. And for us, that's our way of thanking the community for being so supportive of us for the last 20 years. So mm, that's amazing. I mean, like, tell us a little bit more about the Tegan and Sarah Foundation and like how you're serving the people who listen to your music and your activism and how you guys got motivated to not just be musicians, but also start a foundation. So, I mean, going back to high school, actually, our early years of activism had a lot to do with our mom. She was a she was a social worker and a feminist, and she would make us come with her to marches and local protests in the city. And of course, we thought she was so inspirational. And it got us really interested in uh, what you know, what it meant to um, not just not just um, not just go out and march, but to apply pressure to your to your social circle, for example, to get involved in things, to um, you know, to support causes that were impacting people other than your own community. 
And as we started to develop our band publicly, um, people would come to us and say, you know, okay, here in this city where we have a politician who's really conservative and we need your support to do this thing or that thing. And so we started to, you know, um, develop more of like a grassroots approach where it was like, we have this public profile and we have this platform. Um, so we know that if we raise money at a show or we talk about an issue on the radio or whatever, that it can really have an impact. The foundation was a way to sort of formalize that. Um, now we primarily focus our activism on LGBTQ rights, but, um, but there are also lots of intersectional things within underneath the LGBTQ um, umbrella, whether that's like climate crisis um, or social justice or racial justice, those things all sort of fit within the, you know, the infrastructure of the work that we're doing um, on a grassroots level. They really do. Yeah, all of these issues are interconnected. And absolutely. Most people know me for my climate justice work. And so they're confused about what does gay rights have to do with it? I'm like, well, if you are homeless, which there is a disproportionate amount of queer youth who are homeless because of homophobia, you're going to be exposed a lot more to like the polar vortex or when it's the the smoke from the fires. And if you have a home to shelter from it. Um, so I really thank you guys for like seeing that and, and taking action. And it's really great that not only are you providing representation through your music, but also helping the people. Um, so it's not just representation, but it's also change. You guys have been in this for 20 years. And in 20 years, a lot has changed for queer people. Gay marriage was legalized in the United States. There's more representation. There's all sorts of like lesbian and queer women artists. Do you think it's more accepting now? Well, I think the last... 10 years especially have been so inspiring and exciting. This new crop of young LGBTQ artists, you know, across the spectrum are super interesting to us. And, um, you know, when Sarah and I were coming up in the music business, you know, and started our career, the first few years, there was obviously no social media and, and it was quite lonely. You know, we didn't really have mentors. We didn't have um, mm. a circle of artistic friends who were like us, who we could share stories with and um, cry to when we got like sexist, homophobic press, that sort of stuff. It was mostly just like, dudes lots of white dudes lots of like indie rock you know mm. skinny pant wearing dudes mm -hmm. which i mean they were as empathetic as they could be but there was a there was a general vibe of like kind of like we're fringe we're outsiders no one gets it and um as social media really exploded and we were able to start not only connecting with our audience directly which was so fun and cool and great and refreshing but also we started to hear from artists artists like us and and artists that were a lot younger who looked up to us and it was um, I think a super important moment in our career, I would go so far as to say maybe potentially a pivotal moment where we realized, holy crap, like we need to restructure how we do everything. We started to like only really ask uh, queer people or women to open for us. We started to, we made a public pledge to, you know, have mm -hmm. parity on the road with um, our staff to make sure that there were more women and that the women that we hired were holding the technical roles out on the road. You know, we started to do a bunch of different things. And as we did those things, the loneliness and the isolation and the, you know, disconnect that we'd felt disappeared. And it just kind of became our thing. Like we just reached out to everybody. We just kind of put the word out there that if you needed support or advice, or you had any questions about surviving in the industry, we were there for you. And, um, you know, and I think in a way we do that with the, the community of Tegan and Sarah fans that we're closest to. And I hope that that's what we're providing in the social justice world with Tegan and Sarah Foundation. We want to do everything we can to bring those people together. And that sort of was what Tegan and Sarah concerts were. 
you know, back in the day. So we're kind of like using that same model. Nice. Uh, it's so lovely. So, I mean, I'm all for it. I love that there's more um, LGBTQ representation in the mainstream. I love that the mainstream is no longer so easy to box. What is mainstream? I mean, King Princess is massive, but it's because of streaming. There is just an opportunity for more of us that aren't considered, you know, straight ahead linear mainstream artists um, to, to flourish and thrive and build an audience ourselves. And the people are speaking, you know, it's, it's absolutely thrilling to watch. Yeah, I remember uh, my fir- the first like concert that I really felt like, wow, this is my community. I went to a Haley Kiyoko concert in best. 2018 and it was just, you guys, ha- okay, I would love a Tegan and Sarah and Haley Kiyoko like song. We've been talking slash. about it. We've been talking uh, about it. Yeah, no, I love her. She's amazing. Oh my God. I, I, I'm like, I chronically yeah. text her and I'm like, will you make a music video for us? I think she's amazing. I'm jealous you've seen her live. I've actually never seen her live. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I, please, <laughs> the gays would lose it in the best way if you guys That's collabed. Cool. The lesbians, the queer girls, everyone would be deceased in the best way. Um. Yeah. When I was in the closet and I really couldn't find a lot of representation, the representation that I did find, like they were like my friends, like when I stumbled across the L word, a (laughs) classic. um, And when I found your music and I was like listening to it, it's like you guys were like, you know, it it feels very personal, even though you made it, you had no idea who I was and you made it like for everyone and everyone could listen to it when it's like coming into your earbuds it feels personal Mm -hmm. and like you know you find your gay best friends even if they're on like screen so like (laughs) have you ever had experiences like that and and what does it feel like to be that for other people yes I mean absolutely my goodness made some of my it's it's actually really funny you bring up the L word but when we were in high school there was a movie called All Over Me and Leisha Haley who plays Alice on the L word was in that movie and you know, it was a queer story. And uh, Leisha was in a band in the 90s called The Murmurs. And they had this song called You Suck. And Sarah and I were obsessed. And um, I think Leisha Haley was definitely the first queer person that was in the arts that was famous that I can remember looking up to and being excited about. And um, it's funny because the L word was shot in Vancouver. And I didn't have a subscription or cable, so I couldn't watch it. My mom bought me the box set of DVDs the next year of the first season. And I had the exact same experience you did, Jamie, where I watched it and was like, oh, my God, not just these people feel like my friends, but I was like, I want them to be my friends. And and they, like, were shooting in Vancouver. And for weeks after I watched the first season, I remember walking around, like, being like, will I run into them? Will I one day, you know, know them? And... On the third season, we ended up being approached to perform on the show and we shot the same day and Leisha and Kate, like who played Alice and Shane, were on set that day and we've been friends ever since. Oh my gosh. they're legitimately lovely human beings who are, I think, very proud of their legacy in the gay community and, and understand the incredible significance they've had on a generation, multiple generations of women because of how thoughtful their roles are on that show and, and is we can, timeless we, it is and there's like lots of pr- problematic storylines oh, yeah. and things that happened over the seasons but I think especially that first season there's just something absolutely like beautiful about it and yeah those things absolutely affected how Sarah and I felt about ourselves and our queerness and I I think we when we saw things like another movie we saw when we were teenagers was um go uh chasing amy which is another problematic kind of film that didn't necessarily age that well but it didn't matter it was just it was a film we could hold on to or like better than chocolate or when night is falling my god sarah and i and our friends there was this when night is falling is about like a circus 
performer is in town and falls in love with a woman. I mean, it is just the most gay sounding like lesbian <laughs> film of all time. And like there was just, you know, and my mom would rent us these movies. It was like she was like priming us to be gay. Um, <laughs> Maybe mother's really intuition knew. <laughs> If you guys were begging think, to get your hair chopped off yeah. and like seeking these things out, I don't think she was like, look at my <laughs> yeah. heterosexual children. I think she was trying to mirror acceptin- acceptance and accepting mm. behavior. I think that, I think subconsciously she knew that we weren't like the straightest kids, but it was a pretty big shock when we came out. Mm. Like she definitely wasn't, she wasn't as prepared as you would think based on what we looked like since we were about Maybe five she years old. Maybe should movie with us. <laughs> she could have that might have that might have helped her I was gonna say too I thought that you know you had at the end of your question you know you also asked about what it feels like to sometimes be that representation for people and I think you know it's it it didn't happen to us accidentally you know there was a um there was a very thoughtful uh approach to the way that we looked at our career and our um, and the way that we connected with our audience. And I think it was about doing what no one had done for us. You know, mm-hmm. it was about showing parts of our lives and being transparent about how we felt because we knew that there were going to be people who were going to need that and want that and who hadn't had that before. And I think if we'd just been like straight people, we might not have been as open or as connected with the people who were coming to see our band play. Mm. But because we, because we lacked a community and because we lacked representation, we desired that connectivity Mm -hmm. and we desired making that community with people. And, you know, obviously I feel like we're a bit too big now to like have the same kind of like intimate hangs with like fans after our shows and stuff. And we also have our own community now that we're adults, but it's so nice to see the kids and the people that come out to our shows create that for themselves. Yeah. Like we have, we have, it's, I think of it as like, we showed them the way and now they do that quite organically within the, within their own ranks. And I think that that's really special. That's amazing. I've never been to one of your shows, but once COVID is over, y'all should hook me up. With yeah. Totally, we'll totally hook you up. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so we talked about the good stuff, but um, what problems for queer women and femmes still exist in the music industry? And like, if you could wave a magic wand and, fix your experiences like gay women in the industry and the situation for you guys like what what would you fix both for you and for for all the other artists that you see like them struggling with you know i think our entertainment industry and i you know i include the music industry film television just really the arts in general um i think that we are a reflection of what is still happening culturally and socially so you know, I don't think you can go in and engineer a music industry that is free of racism and sexism right. and homophobia if if the cult if the cult cultural and social um, reflection isn't the same. You know, I mean, I think you can you could provide something that looks a little bit more ideal or aspirational, um, but if you know if a, if the world still sort of operates in a very specific way, leaving people out or discriminating against certain groups of people you're ultimately going to still see that reflected in the music industry. And so I don't know that, um, like I said, I don't know that we can engineer a perfect utopian society in the music industry yeah. if we don't have that right. in the rest of the world. So, you know, for for people in the music industry, there's a lot of conversation about, um, you know, equity, uh, you know, generationally, how artists have been taken advantage of, how they've been paid differently, um, types of opportunities that are given 
we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't um, acknowledge that a lot of what I like to still think of as the gatekeepers, the people who are essentially running the music business, you know, if they didn't still probably hold a lot of the same biases that they've always held. And I think until, you know, women, queer people, people of color, like until those until those sort of like gatekeepers are replaced with a new generation of, of uh, voices and identities, I think it's really difficult to change how people see things. Um, you know, you've mentioned some amazing queer artists who are breaking through in the mainstream, but you still can only count those people on like one and a half hands. And that probably goes for television and film and representation across a lot of different entertainment spectrums. So I think that's that's sort of where we're at is just this idea of like the more the merrier we have to keep breaking down breaking down these barriers yeah. and we just need more of us and we need to continue to apply pressure it's not always the most public friendly thing to talk about but it is a lot of what is going to make change is going to come from um you know from from the fans and from the people and the and and the world outside of the entertainment industry but also there are just like a few really important key people who kind of have to change. And some of those people um, might actually literally have to die before we can get new people in. And I know that sounds dark, but it's true. Like they are holding on so tight to a kind of a, an old fashioned way of thinking. And I think, I, I think we will see significant change, but right now it's, it's still, it's still small change. It's still small stuff yeah. that's changing. I remember like, I think they're a great, like, thing of like fans and the people wanting something but then the industry not wanting something this is more of the movie business but I remember in 2016 and beyond there was like this huge online social media campaign really asking for more uh queer representation in like Disney movies and Ooh. fairy tales so like hashtag give Elsa a girlfriend like Elsa mm -hmm. from Frozen who's already like a queer icon because Frozen is like a coming out story pretty much if you think about it and she had shown no interest in men so it was like yeah. <laughs> um it was trending on Twitter and everyone was like, please include us in the Disney fairy tale. And Disney was like, mm, no, they were pretty much like no gay because feminism. At first they were like, well, we're considering a female love interest. And then in Frozen 2, they ended up just like, nah. And they just kind of gave her like a gal pal who she was friends with. <laughs> um, the decision makers are not ready, but like the fans, it was yeah. like trending, like give us something we, we want. Yeah. The crumbs we get, it's crumbs. And I'm like, Maybe though this like, this circles back to your question about how much has changed. And I think that it is undeniable that, that our world is completely different than it was 20 years ago when it comes to LGBTQ rights and representation, especially in you know places like North America. Um, but it's also undeniable that it hasn't changed enough. It hasn't, and, and the, the, the danger in speaking about change, you know, I know, I'll say this, I know that as an artist, I find it deeply frustrating, like come Pride Month or, you know, women in music issue month, which is like once a year. And when they decide mm -hmm. they're going to finally give women more representation in music magazines, it's like the, the, the fear I have in participating in both those things is, is, um, is encouraging and validating the pervasive and I think completely ignorant conclusion that things are different now and that it's better. And I think that what inspired mm -hmm. us to start the foundation mm. was that as we became more successful, climbed to like new levels and, you know, had a larger platform and moved into the 1%, 
we thought that meant that everyone in our age group and that women like us, that they were doing that too. And as we started to sort of regroup and talk directly to our audience, it was like, no, like that's not the story for most queer women. And, you know, and there were just, there were truths that were impossible to ignore. And Mm -hmm. I think that there became this whole thing for me where I was like, who cares (laughs) if there's more queer women on Spotify? Like, are we getting, like, within our industry, are are we being paid the same at festivals as our male counterparts? Are we being given the same budgets for recording music as our male counterparts and straight counterparts? And the answer is no. And so then when you look at how that trickles down to the rest Mm -hmm. of the world, it's a no. It's no. It's not really just legislating gay marriage did a lot for a lot of people, but it did nothing for a lot more. And I think that it's not about poo-pooing the the change that's happened. It's just making sure that we don't glamorize what's happened and 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 yeah. forget everything else underneath. Sarah and I understand things got better for us because we're cis, because at least to some people we're attractive, you know, because we're skinny, because we come from Canada and had certain privileges and we had hundreds of thousands of dollars of government funding to help us make videos and tour internationally. Like we don't represent most people and so it's it's unfair to like then put us on the cover of a magazine and go it changed it's like no it didn't not really not really right yeah I kind of dread pride month every year kind of because it's like Gucci will align their bags in a (laughs) rainbow fashion or like every corporation will like put its little logo on and it's like I don't know. Rainbow capitalism is what it's called. And so it's like people don't like to to think that they like to be like just like people love to be racism is over because Obama or like stuff like that. They also like to think homophobia is over because one time I saw gay people on TV for two seconds or I saw Tegan and Sarah on the cover of a magazine, therefore. Well, and I think that this is where like it's so incredible what you're doing with your in your position. And I think it's it's on the shoulders of all of us. And I hope is also on the shoulders of our um, heterosexual um, peers who claim to be allies and go and collect their GLAD awards and then don't do anything else other than collect their GLAD award is like it's on Mm -hmm. us to give back to our community and not just queer stuff, you know, to climate, to, you know, uh, you know, racial justice, to social justice, to everything like the reality is is like if you are in a position of power and you have people who are listening to you it is no longer acceptable that you don't inform yourself educate yourself and start giving back and there's really small gestures that you can do that make a huge difference and i think for us it became very clear that like it wasn't good enough to just take the check to go play world pride we needed to go and have conversations with the banks that were supporting that and the you know major brands and say Actually, you need to Mm. cut a check for the community because gay marriage passed, yes, but here's the list of things that still need to be done for the community. Everything we still don't have. Yeah, here are all of the rollbacks on rights that are happening, and you just see it in every single country. Every time gay marriage passes, there's more violence, there's more bullying, there's, you know, the attacks on rights in the courts, and it's just, you can't, yeah, you don't get to just put a sticker on your window for a week and, and be the good guys. but. There's ways to do it without like going into those banks and like burning them down, which sometimes I feel like doing, right. you know, instead we go in and we're like, hey, like, yeah, you like us. You you want us. You want to be in partnership with us. Here's a great easy lift and, and a way to do it. And, you know, I hope Sarah and I's ab- advocacy is an example for other people, especially artists that are larger than us. Right. 
my family, so I'm half Colombian and my mom is an immigrant from Colombia. And I keep thinking about how different Colombia has a lesbian mayor of Bogota, which is where my family's from. But like mm -hmm. also there's so much machismo and like homophobia within the Latino community that I'm like, you know, it's not just how things are in North America and like, quote unquote, like white countries but but also like what are things like around the world and and right. i i think a lot about like queer south american youth of you know i i could have easily grown up in colombia we have to also think about our queer siblings all around the world Absolutely. um moving towards though like i guess the fun stuff as well <laughs> and something that brought me joy was um seeing your music in the happiest season oh yeah <laughs> so the happiest season is a lesbian holiday christmas movie that came out in the holiday season of 2020 and it's really special to people because there's not a lot of lesbian christmas movies and this was a big like mainstream one that released on hulu and it starred really big queer movie stars like Kristen stewart and aubrey plaza and Tegan and Sarah made a song for the movie called Make You Mine, which was a gay Christmas song for a gay Christmas movie. Somebody broke your heart Under a Christmas tree So many fallen stars Give them back to me Have I been good enough To ask for your love so refreshing to hear like a a lesbian slash queer girl yeah. Christmas song. It was kind of like a all I want for Christmas is you-esque like lyrics yeah. and you never really hear like queer Christmas carols and this is kind of one of them like make you mine. It's like the only one I can think of and so it, it's 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 sad that we don't have more. I'm sure. sure yeah. More exists somewhere but but it, it's really it was just really nice to to have that. Writing the song was really fun. It actually was something that we did right as soon as the pandemic started. So we actually had to write the song on Zoom with our uh, friend and producer in Los Angeles, Alex Hope. And Tegan and I very rarely actually write for other art. Like we write music and then it gets used in TV and film. But very rarely do we actually sit down and think about what should the song sound like for this movie. And it's, it's like kind of um, reverse engineering something. And... Uh, you know, and then Cleo would give us feedback, like more sleigh bells or like, that feels too sad. Can you make it a little bit more Christmas happy? Like, you know, it was kind of a, a unique um, experience for us to work in that way, but very satisfying to hear the song in the, in the film. This movie had big cultural impact. And amongst the amongst queer people, there was a lot of um, discourse. Some queer women were like, the happiest season is a horror movie because <laughs> because um I don't know annoyed that the the way it ended or, or some of the or that Aubrey yeah. Plaza didn't end up with Kristen Stewart or stuff that's like a that. horror, that's a horror movie that, to me yeah. too I, I was like so there for Aubrey Plaza um you know it's so funny because it's so hard to make film and tv and music in all you know as a queer person because you're always aware that 
your story or your your version of 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 representation is gonna is gonna make so many other people really critical because whatever for whatever reason it doesn't fit their outlook it's not there it's not representing them it's leaving certain people out but I think that that's really sort of just another reason um that we have to be as a queer community that we have to be constantly making things because it's not you know it's it's not fair that all of the the whole entire LGBTQ community has to all watch Happiest Season and feel like it represents them. Like that's not, that's just never going to happen. I loved Happiest Season and I, you know, we're, we're biased too because we're, you know, Clea Duvall who wrote, wrote and directed the film as a dear friend. And she had asked us to write a a Christmas song. And, um, we, you know, we, I read like one of the first scripts, um, that she wrote for the, for the, for making the film like years ago. So to watch that evolution of like an idea, a conversation about an idea turn into like scripts and then an actual film and then the release on Hulu, like, I felt like it was like my kid, you know, like, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I found it super inspiring to write for something. Like Sarah said, we never really write for things. Like, you know, we were always just writing for ourselves and writing for our band. And it was really, really fun to do. And we got to see a early edit of the movie and it just, it really inspired me. It made me really excited. I I, I echo everything Sarah said. And I understand why a lot of people um, in the community felt a little um, rubbed the wrong way. I, I know a lot of us, we just want like a hot romantic Christmas rom-com with Kristen Stewart and and don't need it to be about coming out or being closeted. And I totally get that. And I think, you know, that's about the gatekeepers yeah. again, though, not to not to say that, like, you know, we as artists and creatives can't apply pressure. But the reality is, is that that story still really hasn't been told in the mainstream. Like that was the first major studio picture ever about, you know, queer leads in Christmas. And so for some of us, that might seem like 20 years ago, but for some people, that's literally still how it is. And I think that's that's something that for me, I felt was super significant about that movie. Um, you know, I think we forget <laughs> in North America that like there are millions and millions of queer people and LGBTQ identified people all over the world who grow up in religious communities or in, you know, rural communities or places where gay marriage isn't legal. And to have a major picture like this with a massive movie star attached means that it will go more places than ever, you know, and I think that's a win. That's still something to celebrate. And coming out is still really hard to do for a lot of people. And I, um, and so I was, I was really proud to be um, associated with it. And Kristen is amazing in it. And Aubrey Plaza is the best. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, now that, you know, you guys have made it, you know, um, but what is your advice to like queer kids or other aspiring queer artists out there who look at you and think, I want to be where they are? Like, what is, what is your advice for them? You know, the, 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 the takeaway for me, you know, whether, whether you're trying to pursue a career in the arts or, you know, you're going to take a more traditional route through like going to college, getting a degree, that type of thing. I mean, the reality is, is that our lives shouldn't be about achieving everything quickly. You know, I think that there's something mm-hmm. about looking at our lives, hopefully as being long and, and, and happy and, um, pacing ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I see, I see so many kids now who are like, they can't wait to go to college, get their degree, get a job. My dad used to say this thing to us. We still make fun of him. But when we were kids, he would always say this thing where he was like, don't be in a hurry to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life, because then you have to do it for the rest of your life. And I think Hmm. um, he didn't say it exactly like that. Um, He would have said something like, 
once you figure out you have to dig a ditch, you have to dig a ditch till you're dead. And then you have to be in the ditch. So it's like, um, I'm just trying to soften it. But essentially, this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. Like we are going to, you know, we're going to set goals. We're going to try to achieve them. Sometimes those goals, we reach them. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do the things that we want to do and they don't make us happy. You know, like whatever. There's Life is hard. And I think... Um, so my advice to anyone, just well, young people, whatever, whatever age you are, um, I think that we, we put too much emphasis on success and we put too much emphasis on finishing, releasing, you know, like I've, I've checked this off, you know, whatever. I think that the joy is in the, in the process. And so, you know, to my mm. sort of queer friends and artists who are, you know, trying to write or make music or, you know, whatever. I always say like, make sure that you're enjoying the process of making the thing because you might, you may, you may end up getting it, getting your movie made or putting your album out and it may not bring you the happiness that you think it's going to bring you. And then once you've done that, you have to start all over again and make your next thing. So I always say like, make sure that you're enjoying whatever it is that you're doing. Um, And hopefully if we all live long lives, you know, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint you know, just, just take it easy. Don't be so hard on yourself about getting famous by the time you're 25 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. What is next for you guys? Are there any cool projects or initiatives that the Lavender Pod can support you or get involved with? Can we expect a Tegan and Sarah Haley Kyoko <laughs> collab or Tegan and Sarah Kehlani or just any King Princess or Girl in Red collab? What do the gays have to look forward to? <laughs> I like this question. You know, we're, we're, we're working on a new record. Um, Ooh. I wouldn't rule out, you know, collaborations with other artists, um, especially if we can't tour. I definitely feel like we're, we're we want to sort of do some musical stuff, even if we can't tour. Um, we're going to continue the work with the Tegan and Sarah Foundation. I, you know, we fund a lot of LGBT. We send, we, we do camperships for LGBTQ youth to go to LGBTQ summer camps. And, you know, we're working a lot on, you know, protecting and, um, bettering the lives of youth in schools through, you know, programs in that department. And so um, go check that out. And then um, Sarah and I, we just finished writing scripts for two graphic novels about a fictionalized Tegan and Sarah, but they're like 13 and 14 and they're now. So it's like not our real, like it's, it's about a fictionalized Tegan and Sarah as if they were teenagers now. So those are being drawn by an incredible queer artist, Tilly Walden. And so those will come out at the end of or at the beginning of next year and, and the following year. So there's like a lot of things in the pipeline for sure. We've got a audio project. Some people call it podcasts, but this it's more of like an audio series um, and another memoir. I mean, there's like a lot of things coming. We're definitely oh, really busy. Oh, y'all are busy. Yeah. I, okay. So so the gays have a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we go, we got a TikTok account. So I mean, oh, you know, check us out on okay, lesbian we TikTok. Follow the TikTok. Yeah, get on it. Lesbian TikTok is a beautiful but terrifying place. It's both um, beautiful and terrifying. I would agree. It is. It is. It's amazing. Uh, so do you guys have any favorite like up and coming queer artists or piece of queer media and representation that, that you guys really love? That's a great question. I mean, obviously, last year, my like probably top three in my top three shows was Euphoria. Um, mm-hmm. I was like and and sex education. I thought they both have really mm-hmm. positive and really exciting really interesting um, queer characters, which was really exciting. And musically, I mean, we are just massive, like, diehard fans of, you know, Haley Kyoko, Girl in Red, King Princess, and uh, I think Shora's a genius. I think Shamir's record 
that came out last year was phenomenal. And um, I could go on and on and on. There's a Vancouver artist, Comortal, that everybody should check out. They are just incredible, making really interesting music and just beautiful visuals. Mm. Yeah, I think that, you know, to see right now just the way that the, um, I, I mean, specifically TV and film is exciting for me. Not, not that I don't think that the, that the progress and the, the, the people make, queer people making um, stuff in music is um, not exciting. It totally is. I think it was just so transformative to see that start to happen on television and film for me. I think there's lots of gay queer people in music, whether they're out or not. And sometimes straight people make really gay music. But I just, I, for some reason, TV and film, it just really, it just like really, um, it, it just spoke to Any me. Any favorite and movies I, or TV shows? I, yeah, like what? Well, I was going to say, I loved uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I loved it too. Oh, you did. It, I think it's, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the more, the deeper we get into this pandemic and the, the, because the film is so claustrophobic and it's so beautiful and Gorgeous. intimate, but there's, but there's just this like, this like desire, hunger element of like being connected that I just, when I think about that film in mm. the pandemic world, it just really moves me. So, you know, it feels like the kind of film you like drink a bottle of wine it and really think is. about your aging life. Yeah. I did my <laughs> final project for my, um, my final essay for my, um, film analysis class here at film school on that movie like everyone kind of makes fun of the whole lesbian period piece genre but that's actually a good one and it was made by like a queer director and I think one of her ex-girlfriends was the star of it so it was like by us for us um very unlike (laughs) yeah like fetishizing dude movies I love all of all of Celine's films are absolutely fantastic though I I really truly feel like this is this one is a masterpiece so yeah it's gorgeous everyone go watch it Thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, Baby gay Jamie is is looking at this now like, oh my God, I can't believe she got to do this. So thank you guys for your music and your work and keep being awesome. And I really enjoyed having you guys on the podcast today and I hope everyone listening enjoyed it too. Um, So you guys can follow Tegan and Sarah on social media, on Spotify, on TikTok, and um, (laughs) stay up to date with the work that they do and check out the Tegan and Sarah Foundation. Yeah. And of course, to your your listeners, um, young young and old, uh, we're so happy to be a part of your community. We love being gay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lavender U. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Foundation, and our theme song is Love Line by the one and only Zolita. We release new episodes every other Thursday, so make sure you like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And follow us on social media, too. We are at LavenderUPod, that's Y-O-U, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're a queer person out there feeling alone or sad or anxious, know that this is a community for you, made for you. If you ever need to reach out to talk to a fellow queer person about anything and feel community and that you're not alone, our social media DMs are open. Send us a message anytime. We are here for you. See you next episode. And until then, long live the gays.